Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 29th, 2023, called Jesus Revealed in Mercy, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours through His Son and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we get started today, again, you can follow along in that, that in your bulletin. You can see there's an outline there if you want to write things, anything like that. But you know what I'm going to do? Just for you today, I'm going to give you the end of the sermon right now in case, I don't know, something happens. And it's like, all right, good, I got it. I got the end. The one phrase we're working through the entire time is this. Jesus, God, reveals himself through you to your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. That's the whole sermon. I'll do it again. Right? You're going to hear three sermons today. I'll preach it a second time. Jesus reveals himself through you to your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. Again, we're talking about how Jesus has revealed himself to us time and time again. Scripture, prophecy, preaching, a star at the time of Epiphany as we celebrate that. I want to share with you one of my favorite verses. I, I said this funny at 830. I'm like, let me share with you one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. I'm going to say that like four more times. Um, it, it, I like the Bible. It's probably a good thing if you're a pastor. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes this. Because the God who said, out of darkness light shall shine, is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not out of us. So again, that's what the sermon's all about. These earthen vessels, for some reason, God is saying, I will reveal myself through you to your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. And if you're like me, maybe not, but I, when I hear that and I feel that and I'm preaching this today, I go... That's a little intimidating. I'm a little unnerved by that because, God, I don't know if you've seen me lately. Contrary of what, to what everybody else believes and says about me, I'm not perfect. All right? I'm not perfect. My wife, my wife didn't leave at that statement, right? I'm, I'm not perfect. And, God, are you sure you want to reveal your perfect and loving nature through an imperfect, this earthen vessel, this earthly vessel? Uh, what results are you expecting? I just, I just want to know what you, th- what you think your return on that's going to be. Yet Christ chooses to do it anyway, reveals himself through us, his perfection, to our neighbor for the sake of the gospel. And how does that work? We're going to unpack that ideas through these few texts, starting with Micah chapter 6. I love the book of Micah. It's one of my favorite parts of all of Scripture. There, I said it again. And I say that because in our, our third service, right, our five o'clock service, I said I want to preach through books of the Bible. What was the first book of the Bible that I picked? Micah, thank you. I know Jared was there because he was standing next to me the whole time. Um, through the, we preached through the book of Micah because I love it so much. And here's this right here. Before I get into it, there's this statement that I put over here. Have you ever been in this argument before? What more do you want from me? What more could you possibly want from me? Maybe um, it could be you have a spouse or you have a friend, anything like that. You have a roommate and you, you shovel all the snow. You throw out all the salt or whatever you use to make the ice not slick. And then you went inside, you, you mopped the floors. You did all the dishes and they come home and say, hey, you didn't do the bathrooms. What's your answer? One more do you want from me? Do you need my blood? Do you need a pound of flesh? What more can I possibly give in this moment right now? What more do you want from me? Maybe it's at work. 
right? And you come in early and you stay late. And every project they put on your desk, you're like, you know, this isn't my department, but I'm going to take care of it anyway. I want to be a good employee. And then your review comes up. And they come up and they give you like a two and a half out of five and say, there are a few things you could have done better. And it feels like they make stuff up. I'm just going to say it, right, to all my if you've been my past employer, tune out for a second. Um, it's like, you know, I feel like they make stuff up just to say, like, we can't give you a good score, even though you worked hard because we just can't afford to give you a good score. And you sit there and you go, what more do you want from me? I come in early. I stay late. I do everything you put on my plate. I feel no appreciation. What more could you possibly want from me? Maybe you're either a parent, but everyone here has been a child before, right? And it's your parent asking you to clean your room. Or you've asked your child to clean your room, and they pick up two pieces of underwear and throw it in a different corner, and they say, my room's clean. Or I say that, my room's clean. Your parents say, you need to do a little bit more than that. We need you to pick up your toys. We need you to pick up your clothes. We need you to, you know, Corey's looking at me like, man, tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> I need you to pick up your clothes. Uh, I need you to dust. And as a child, what do you say? In a little bit of ignorance in the state, you go, what more do you want from me? I picked up my two pieces of underwear. What more do you want from me? How much more do I have to give in order to declare this to be fine and declare it to be done? As a mom so well quoted online, my son says I only had children so I could make them do chores. Like, yes, I made a bunch of messy, whiny poop machines so they could do a bad job of cleaning that I'll just have to end up redoing later. What more do you want from me? And there's a part of here that there's a little bit of reflection that you can kind of see in there. It's like, I didn't ask you to clean your room because I thought you were going to do a good job. I asked you to clean your room because I'm trying to teach you something. A sense of responsibility, and that sense of responsibility, it's often for your sake, not for mine. If I wanted the room clean, I'd just do it myself, right? If I wanted it done right, I'd do it the first time. Yet I want to teach you a sense of responsibility because I know it will be good for you. All these things you could say as a parent to a child or when you've been a child and now you look back and you remember your parents, all the things they did that were for your sake, not for theirs. Yet we still answer and we have this question, what more do you want from me? And you see this progressive argument in the, the children of God, right? The people of Israel. You see it in Micah. They say, okay, God, we're about to be invaded at this point by the Assyrians. Uh, what more do you want from us, right? Do you want 10,000 rams? Do you want calves a year old? Do you want rivers of oil? What more can we give to you? And they are just, you could, it's all going past them. They just don't get the point. Here they are in idol worship. Here they are exercising freedoms that they indeed don't have. And they're walking away from God. Yet they turn to God and say, well, we do certain sacrifices. What more do you want from us in order to make this happen? And I've been in that progressive argument with God. I don't know if you have. I've looked up to God in prayer and said, Lord, what more do you want from me? I don't see how hard I work on my family and why we're still having issues. I don't see why, when I'm at my job why I'm not feeling appreciated or I'm not feeling fulfilled. Lord, time and time again I find myself busy all the time, yet I feel like nothing's getting done. What more do you want from me? What more can I give in this situation? And just like God looks at me in that moment, God's looking at the people of Israel way back in the chapter, this chapter of Micah. And God looks at them and says, what do you mean? Can't you see all that I've done for you already? That, that I, I freed you from slavery, right? Back in Egypt, I, I've, I brought you out out of Egypt in servanthood. I redeem you from your enemies. What more do I want from you? Everything I've done has been for your sake. And too often, myself, just like the people of Israel here, I get too focused on the things that I have that I tend to forget where they came from. Does that make sense? 
I, I forget how abundantly I've been blessed like a child who cleans his room, and I'm just going to complain that the fact that I have to clean my room as I pick up the toys that my, my parents gave me, as I pick up the clothes my parents gave me, as I go to the, in, my, in the house and the roof that my parents put over my head or my guardian, however you want to say it, oftentimes when I was a child I thought that way, and I wouldn't say I see that now, right? But the same sense, I forget the blessings that I've been blessed with because I'm too concerned with the things I have in my hands. So when God says, what more do I want from you? You've forgotten that I've blessed you. Here's what the Lord requires of you, he says, to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Another way in which we read that, right, different translations, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord. And we read that, it's like, okay, that's the thing you want me to do, God? Then that's just what I'll do. And you got to chuckle at that a little bit. Because as you get the reflection of this, all these things God has indeed done for us because we find ourselves incapable of doing them anyway. First one, right? I'm just going to review them really quickly. To do justice. Who did justice? God says, justice is mine. And he says, the justice that you deserve I placed upon my son. Jesus has taken justice upon himself. For who? For your sake and for the sake of your neighbor. God didn't do it for the sake of himself. The same thing with uh, love kindness, right? It says love mercy up there. In the Hebrew, this is one word. It's literally like no space, love kindness. And it's not about being like, Hey, I see you need a piece of gum. I gave you a piece of gum. It's not that kind of kindness, although that's nice. It's a kindness that means loyalty, right? So love kindness is like better translated as steadfast love, if you're familiar with that term. A love that endures, a love that remains loyal. How well do we do that for God? I I can't say great. The people of Israel didn't do a very good job either, as he refers to them here. But who did, in fact, stay loyal in that love, have that steadfast love, that love kindness? Well, it was God. For the sake of his people. He says, I even do this for your sake as well. Again, we have the great perspective of 2020 rear vision to see Jesus Christ for our sake. And then the last one, right? Walk humbly with your God. I don't know if you've ever walked with a child like across a parking lot, like holding hands. How convenient is that? Not very, right? And I've been, I was the child that like, is that Six Flags? Or you don't know what that is, or like Disneyland, right? And I'm like, ooh, and I'm walking somewhere else, and there's a struggle there. I'm trying to wander, and my mom or my dad has to hold my hand so I don't get lost. I'm 36 years old. I will still get lost in Disneyland if someone's not holding on to me. Why? I can't help but start to wander. In the same sense, walk humbly with your God. Who's the one holding your hand? That sense of walking humbly with God is God's humility for your sake holding your hand and walking alongside of you. Just like, as I said, you yourselves are a child of God. So he does all these things for our sake. And why is that? Again, we're going back to that same praise, right? Who needs your sacrifices? It's not God. In this time, especially then, it was the people of God. I need to do sacrifices because I need them, not because God needs them. In the same sense, God gave us the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ because we need it, not because he needed it. Because we needed it, and so does our neighbor. Again, Christ reveals himself through you to your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. That's our key phrase. As we move on over here, I want to show you an image. So this is cool. Uh, Well, you might think it's cool. I think it's cool. All right, I should rephrase that. And I say this because when I was a young Christian, this was the thing that when I went, yes, I am Lutheran. 
right? I saw this. It's called Two Kinds of Righteousness. We build it from different parts of the articles and what's going on here. As I teach this to you, you may think it's really cool. It may be brand new. This may be review. You may just not think it's cool, but smile for me anyway as I tell you about it. So this is called Two Kinds of Righteousness. And you can see we have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with others. And what's really neat about this, uh, vertical righteousness, right? You see there's a little Cairo symbol up there. It's in the Greek. That stands for Christ. We receive that passive righteousness, that gift of Jesus Christ, our gift, the, the grace and mercy, because of Christ, and it's brought down to us. I'm going to explain both of these terms for you, and the rest of the sermon kind of cycles on these, so I hope I do a good job. First one being passive righteousness, our vertical relationship with God, where God is doing the work, right? And that's where we say God is doing the work. He's the one that brings you salvation. The way I describe this often is imagine that there's a cup, all right, and I have a pitcher of water. That cup passively receives the water as I pour it into it. You don't see a cup that jumps up and says, all right, I'll get you a glass and dives into your pitcher for you, comes up and says, ha-ha, I am now full. No, no, Siri, I won't say it again. Um, it, it, and it's filled up for you already. In the same sense, that glass stays there passively, and it takes a hand of somebody else to lift that pitcher and to pour into it. The same way it is for God's righteousness, His grace and mercy for our sake. We can't be a cup that somehow jumps up and fills ourselves full of God's love and his righteousness and forgiveness and jump back down and say, look what I did. It doesn't work that way because there's no way I could possibly work up that chain or work up to receive something passively. Does that make sense? I need to be a passive recipient as God pours into me. Then in the same sense, right, I have a great quote here. It's from David in Psalm 23. He says, you, Lord, prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So your cup overflows. So we see the second part, which is the active righteousness. That's your relationship, or the, yeah, active righteousness, your horizontal. That's your relationship to others. And here's the thing. We often say, well, who does the work there? Well, I'm going out and doing the work, but who overflows the cup so we can even share it, right? We got that from David, and it's God. God continues to work in you so that your cup overflows so you can share for the sake of your neighbor. Does that make sense, right? So as he fills into me, I therefore overflow, and I can do good works for the sake of my neighbor so that, guess what I'm going to say now, that through me, Christ reveals himself to my neighbor for the sake of the gospel, as we continue with this, right, we kind of get, um, go to the next image for me. Too often we're like the people of Israel. You can go to the next one. Those are the answers. Too often we're like the people of Israel and we say, God, but what more do you want from me? If I continue to give myself, won't I just be left with less? If you've seen these pictures, right, it's a person giving a piece of themselves for the sake of the other. We see this image quite often, the statue of the man with his child, right, father and son, that I, I give a piece of myself in order to build uh, my child, if that's the relationship you have. If you've been a teacher, right, teachers, you feel this every day, and it's a lot of people picking pieces out of you, right? You're giving a piece of yourself in order to build up somebody else. And you can see in the other image, it's, it's a, a man with his friend giving a piece of himself in order to fill, fill the other one. And we see this image in a lot of different ways, right? We, have, uh, we see this image of the man with this child, and we say, oh, that's sweet. And then we see the image of the man giving a piece of himself to fill somebody up all the way, and it's like, well, hold on. What about all his missing pieces? I'm afraid to give him myself. We see this image and it looks sweet and endearing that I would give stuff for the sake of my friend, but then we, it's the same thing we fear, don't we? I fear that I'm going to be left 
full of holes. I fear that when I see this, as I, as I continue to give of myself for the sake of others, I'm not going to be holy, like sanctified as a part one with God. I'm going to be left holy, that I'm going to be missing things, that a, a piece of myself, I'm somehow going to be less. And we see this often when we talk about stewardship, right? Time, talents, and treasures. As I give of my money, as I give of my time, as I give of uh, my, my talents and the things that I can do, that I'm going to be left with less, for the sake of somebody else and not more. And that's what makes, although these are very sweet images, it's what makes them imperfect. It may be left, they could be accurate if I'm doing it all for the sake of myself. Sure, I can acknowledge that. But if you see this as as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you miss the fact that God is going to fill you back up. That in the fact that all these holes will again then be refilled by God. Your cup will overflow, as, as, as David writes. He'll continue to pour into you for the sake of the gospel. It makes it an imperfect image because you will never be satisfied if you feel you'll only be satisfied if you're full. You'll never be satisfied if you never can give a piece of yourself because you're afraid that you will never be filled again. That brings us to that second point over here. Um, it goes into the Beatitudes, right? You can go to the next slide for me. As Matthew talks about, I say blessed are the dissatisfied. I just want to touch on this quickly because it's kind of a, a blanket statement over all of them. Uh, Jesus talks about both. In a, in a different gospel, he goes, blessed are those who are hungry for you will be satisfied. And then he tells you the reverse side of that. Woe to you that are full because you will be hungry. And what does he mean by that? Blessed are you who are hungry because you will be satisfied. Those who give for the sake of others, knowing and dare I say it's an act of faith to give of yourself, whether it's in a stewardship way or in a serving way, because I'm trusting that God's going to fill me back up, that God's going to replace those pieces. Yet in the same way, as those holes are in me, it's that irony of if I'm an earthly vessel that within me dwells the Spirit of Christ, you need a hole to be able to see it. Otherwise, I'm going to cover it up. In the next part, we talk about Corinthians. Um, In that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that Satan seeks to veil the gospel So it looks obscured, and you can't see it. Well, even for me, I don't want to veil the gospel. So these holes that are within me, you may see the dwelling of Christ within me. So you go, oh, that guy is working. I could see Christ through what he's doing to my neighbor for the sake of the gospel. As I continue over here, go to the next image for me. Oh, and there's your answer. Good works are for your neighbor. You can go to the next slide for me. There we are. So we're back to this image again. Christ is seen through his, our act of righteousness as we love others as he continues to fill up with his grace and mercy. We say this often, who are your good works for? I said it in the beginning, who are your sacrifices for? They're not for God, they're for you and they're for your neighbor. And it brings us to our last section, point three over here. So hold on to that because as God fills us, it flows out for the sake of our neighbor. And our final point over here, point three, we are working from love and not for love. Working from love, as we are being poured into, we're working from what's being poured into, not for something to pour into us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. As we move on here, and you can see see, God sustains us as we serve is kind of the answer that you want to put there. God continues to work through us because, honestly, I'll tell you, it's a sacrifice when you give of yourself. I don't know if, you, if this has ever happened to you. I knew people in my life growing up when I was a young Christian. I, I really treasured their, their mentorship, and I said, I can't wait 
till I'm going to be like these fathers of faith in my life, and, and I could sacrifice and give the way that they do so easily and, and, and so lovingly. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a pastor now. I've been a Christian for quite a while. I'm still waiting for that day to show up when it's a lot easier to give of myself, when I don't have to think, okay, um, I'm not so concentrated on God pouring into me that I just need to be filled up and everybody else doesn't matter. Right? Oftentimes, how does a cup get filled? It's because it's being poured out. It's because it's being emptied. I, I got to give God an opportunity to fill me. If I, and if I don't, uh, I just sit there and my cup overflows and it falls to the floor. And I'm telling you, there is a need for self-care, of course. You need to watch out. You need to have times when you need to know how to say no. But too often, I, I go to the reference of, in my head, when someone asks me to do something, I say no first rather than how. And that's where I, I feel like I need a change in my heart set. Instead of saying no first, I need to look for a how. If God's called me to this opportunity in which he pours into me, again, you'll hear it, pours into me so then through me he can reveal himself to my neighbor for the sake of the gospel, maybe I should think of the how. And there's this wisdom of God that's here that seems like nonsense. And I'll tell you this, it's from John chapter 4. Love this, you'll never guess what I'm about to say. This is one of my favorite parts of all of Scripture, right? Exactly, John chapter 4. So Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they're hungry. He sends his disciples out to the city. He says, go get some food. I'm going to this well over here. You can meet me here. He goes to the well, and there's a Samaritan woman. And uh, if you didn't know, there's a lot of racial tension, you would say, or cultural tension between Judaism and Samaritans at this time. And he looks to the Samaritan woman and says, um, would you give me a drink? And she says, you? Uh, are at, you a Jew are asking a Samaritan woman for a drink, and he says, I tell you, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink, because I give water, and with that water, when you drink of it, you will never thirst again. In fact, you will become a spring of living water inside of you, and you say that because a spring of water is a source of water for other people. You will become a source of this living water even for others. And as she laughs it off, Jesus then continues to explain himself, and she finds out him to be the Messiah. And she indeed becomes a spring of living water. And she runs out and tells all her friends and neighbors, come and see, come and see the one that's told me everything I've ever done. Come and see the Messiah. And she gathers more people time and time again. And all the disciples show back up. And this is what happens. The disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And here's the line. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. So you got that over there. Blessed to you who are not satisfied because you will be satisfied. Those who are hungry, you will be fed. And that food is to do the work and will of him who has sent him. And you'll never guess where I'm going to say next because it's God works through you to your neighbor for the sake of the gospel. That's where the satisfaction he's talking about comes in. And again and again, I tell you, as a new Christian, I had these people in my life that made it look really easy. It wasn't until later, after kind of studying this for a while longer, I'm saying, Lord, what more do you want from me? But realizing where that blessing comes from, I hear this in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You go to the next picture for me. This is a, we use this image before here in church, and it's a, it's a great one, right? A champagne tower. Celebrate. Yay, champagne. Um, what's neat about this, as you fill one, it continues to overflow. As David says, my cup overflows, and it flows into the others. They then fill and then begin to flow into others. What happens if you take away that top glass? 
It's messy. The champagne goes straight to the floor. It goes straight to the table. Nothing is filled when you pour that and you take away just the top glass. And too often, I tell you, because I say this, it's easy to preach this because I'm preaching to myself. Too often I take away that top glass and I say, Lord, I'm full. I'm good. You don't have to keep pouring because I'm full. And if I give of what I have for the sake of others, I'm going to be lacking. Know this, right? Go to the next image for me. Know this, when we see this, God continues to pour into you His grace, His mercy, His love, so that through you, to your neighbor, for the sake of the gospel, they too might hear that message. They too might be filled. They too can know Christ. So when those pieces of you are sacrificed for the sake of others, know that God continues to pour into and sustain you. And as I said, Jesus is revealed. This happens two ways. And this is my, my last point, and I'm done. Two ways. One, that when you give to others... For the sake of the gospel, Christ is revealed. We got that, but instead of being left full of holes, the other way in which he shows himself to you and to others is that you'll never be left empty. And you'll never be left with those holes. That Christ may be revealed through you, but then reveals himself by replenishing you and sustaining you. So to God be the glory, the one who sustains and the one who works through you for the sake of others, for his love. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.